This morning, our scripture comes from Exodus and Matthew. First, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. And Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be Praise to Christ. Christ. Well, thank you, Charles. Good morning, uh, everyone. I, uh, I just want to uh, boot off of something that Nate Tasker was sharing. I so appreciate him acknowledging all the lament that's going on uh, in the world right now over so many things, the resurgence of COVID, Afghanistan, refugee crisis, a fresh refugee crisis, uh, as if we already haven't had enough of those in recent years. Uh, and uh, most recently in our own local community, as many of you know, uh, a, a pastor, uh, Father Thomas McKenzie and his daughter Ella, um, in, a, in a sudden uh, death situation in, uh, involving a car accident this past week. And uh, we just want to take a moment to pause before I get into the sermon and pray, especially for uh, the McKenzie family, the Redeemer Anglican community, which is a very like-minded church uh, community to us at Christ Pres, and a lot of relational crossover uh, between our community and theirs. And uh, we'd just like to pray for them uh, before getting into the sermon. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, uh, we, um, we come to you, Lord, uh, with uh, a degree of heaviness and a degree of lament and grief uh, just over the state of so many things in the world right now. Uh, most uh, immediately, we, we think about the, um, the widow and the remaining daughter, uh, Laura and Sophie McKenzie, as they grieve the loss of of husband, father, daughter, and sister uh, in Thomas and Ella from this past week. We pray that you would hold them close. Uh, we pray that you would, in, you would, in what I'm certain is such an overwhelming um, season for them, uh, comfort them, draw near to them as only you can. Uh, we pray for the Redeemer Anglican Church family, that you would hold them close as well as uh, all the many friends and people who have been influenced and impacted by Thomas and the McKenzie family. Just, just pray, Lord, that this will be a season uh, of comfort in the midst of grief, that we would be uh, those who uh, confidently and boldly lament and shed tears, uh, even as we do so not as people without hope because the resurrection is true. And yet, as we sang uh, just a few moments ago, we're, we're in a season of waiting with so many things. And we pray especially for this family and for this, uh, this community, Redeemer Anglican, as they wait uh, for your redemption, as they wait for healing uh, from what is such a traumatic season for them. And Lord, we pray for all who are facing trauma, all who are facing hardship, all who are being called to wait in, um, in some respects excruciating ways, uh, uh, both locally and also around the world. Uh, we need your comfort. We need your mercy. Meet us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, thanks for that, friends. Uh, we are, uh, we're continuing. By the way, welcome to those of you on the breezeway. Uh, kind of weird to see myself right now through the windows as I look out on you in the breezeway. Um, speaking to myself from over there, that screen, welcome also uh, to those of you who are uh, at home uh, and or at home again due to uh, you know, COVID sensitivities and such. We regard you as we always do as being fully present with us. We're thankful to be gathered with you in ways that, uh, you know, the wonders of technology allow us to be so, um, so welcome. Uh, so I'll start our sermon today, which is number eight in a 10-part series on the Law of Moses or the Ten Commandments. I'll start it with this. We all have something at the center of our souls that, that we functionally um, behave and feel uh, is our greatest treasure. And uh, either consciously or usually subconsciously, we think and feel, if I, if I only could have this, if I only could keep this, uh, then my life will have meaning, then my life will matter, then I will be okay. And there's a parable that, that Jesus teaches in the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel where uh, he unpacks this. It's the parable uh, that we know as the parable of the rich fool. And this is a man who undergoes uh, a construction project uh, to replace his, uh, his smaller barns with bigger ones. And the reason is he wants to add to his existing possessions and to exist, his existing wealth and store it all uh, to, you know, so he thinks, position himself to be able to preach a miniature sermon to his soul. And it goes like this. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods stored up for many years, so relax and be merry. And sadly, this backfires on the rich man, and he dies young, leaving all of these possessions that he has stored up, according to Jesus, for no good reason. And Jesus adds to his teaching around this parable a couple of things. Number one, he says, life does not consist in the abundance of our wealth or our possessions. And then he goes on to say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and thief break in and steal and destroy, but store up or, or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of that is threatened. And so, so this is Jesus' interpretation. This, this section of the Sermon on the Mount is his interpretation of the Eighth Commandment, which says you shall not steal. And as we said last week, on, on the other side of every you shall not is, is a you shall. Uh, so you shall not steal can also be translated this way, uh, or at least paraphrased this way, uh, do be open-handed, do be generous, do be thankful, uh, do be aware that you have, as Pastor Russ Ramsey likes to say, always and only ever had one and only one provider, and that's God himself. And so, so with that as our theme today, there are going to be three thoughts that I want to share with you. The first is uh, to pay it forward. Secondly, to recognize the poverty of greed. And finally, uh, how can we be released from that poverty? So, so first of all, paying it forward. Think about, uh, I want to encourage us to think about the vocabulary that we put around wealth and possessions. Two words in particular that I want to put in front of us, uh, safe and securities. Where do we put 
our possessions or the things that we call our valuables. We, we put them in a thing called a safe. Uh, what do we call our, uh, our financial investments? Most often the u- word that we use is securities. And so, so we think of wealth, we think of possessions as, as, as essential to our safety and as, as essential to those things that will make us secure. The word that Jesus uses for these things is the word mammon. Now, mammon uh, can, can refer to money, uh, but especially it refers to the things that money can buy in order to give us this sense of uh, feeling safe or this sense of feeling secure. That includes possessions like homes and vehicles and clothing and things that we collect and accumulate, fill in the blank there. Uh, it also includes essential provisions like food and, and shelter and clothing. And it also includes uh, the ability to purchase illusion. Illusion. Two kinds of illusion specifically. One, the illusion of having an image that presents, our, in, in which we present ourselves as being elite, powerful, attractive, fashionable, um, important, or happy. So we can use wealth in order to, in a sense, purchase that illusion. The other illusion that we can, we can use wealth to purchase is the illusion of control. The illusion of control. Uh, so, Francis Schaeffer, who uh, is a, or was a pastor and also philosopher in, in our particular faith tradition, he was a Presbyterian minister, also co-founded an organization called Labri with his uh, wife Edith and his family in the Swiss Alps, and I know there's several people in our own community who've been deeply affected by the work of Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he wrote a book called The Church at the End of the 20th Century, and this was a few decades ago, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, and in that book, he predicted that the downfall of the American church would consist in American Christians putting too much stock, there's another financial word, in what the New York Times has called affluenza or as Schaefer called it, the pursuit of personal peace and personal comfort and personal affluence. So Jesus says that this pursuit uh, is a fool's errand. And that's the, that's the gist of all the teaching that's here in, in Matthew 6 from the verses that we had read, that it's a fool's errand not to have wealth or not to have possessions so much as to uh, be excessively focused on pursuing them, keeping them, protecting them. Jesus says that is a fool's errand. And, you know, pertaining to the, uh, the rich fool's barns in his parable, Jesus says, this man is foolish because this very night his soul is going to be required of him. And all of these things that he's prepared and stored up and is hoarding for himself, who will they belong to now? It, it's Jesus' way of saying you can't take any of it with you. Now, what he contrasts wealth and possessions with is the soul. He says your soul is the thing that you can and will take with you. And so so the greatest investment, the most enduring investment, is the investment that impacts the human soul. And so I want to repeat again that having wealth is not the issue here. It's not the problem. 
Abraham, who's, you know, who we're told in, in the Bible is the father of all who have faith. You know, in, in, in Galatians, you know, Paul writes, you know, if you believe in Christ, you are, you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise that was originally made to Abraham. Abraham was a very wealthy man. And he was also, in most ways, a very faithful man. Job is another example. He's, he's the wealthiest, he's described as the wealthiest person of his time in the book of Job, and he's also described as the most righteous person in his time. And so the two can go together. Uh, you know, Jesus later in the Sermon on the Mount in his teaching about considering the lilies of the field, considering the birds of the air, if God takes care of them, how much more are you being so much more valuable than them, will God take care of you? And, and he compares it to Solomon in all of his splendor. And he says what God gives to the birds and what, what, how God dresses the field is greater even than the splendor of Solomon, who was the son of King David and also one of the wealthiest people who ever lived. So it's not having wealth and possessions that, that, that's the issue. In fact, God wants people of his to live and, and their embodied existence, many of them, in more affluent communities and environments because God wants to take the gospel and to take the good news of Christ to people in every kind of community. He wants his people living among the poor. He wants his people living among the wealthy. He wants his people living among all groups and communities in between. So it's not having wealth, it is serving wealth that Jesus is addressing here. You cannot love, Jesus says, or you cannot serve both God and mammon, both God and wealth, both God and possessions at the same time. You, you've, there's a fork in the road at all times, and you've got to go one direction or another. You can't go both directions. So, this word serve is from the Greek word doulos, and that is often translated in the Bible servant, uh, and is also often translated slave. And so what Jesus is talking about is, you know, really essentially the, the reality that everybody has to choose who or what their master is going to be. And, and, and what he's saying is, you want to be mastered by Christ. And you know that you're mastered by Christ, or you know you're mastered by something else, by virtue of where your time, energy, mind share, and resources go with the least amount of effort. Time, energy, mind share, resources with the least amount of effort tends to uh, reveal the things that we worship, the things that we serve, the things that are our functional masters. And so, so Jesus then, in light of this, continues his teaching, and he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, where we put our treasure is, is revelatory or symptomatic of where our hearts are. And so, so that's the servant test, um, when it comes to, to wealth, it goes, it goes something like this. You know, some of us might say, well, this, the servant test when it comes to wealth is, um, am I or are we in a position where we are following through with this thing that the Bible calls the tithe, you know, giving 10% of your wealth away to the Lord's work, to kingdom work, etc. And, you know, for some people, that 
kind of 10% benchmark is a, is a great sacrifice. It's a very significant sacrifice. For other people, it's a drop in the bucket. And, 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 and so what Jesus does is, is he actually raises the bar on this question in an encounter that he has with a man that we know to be the rich young ruler. And in this encounter, encounter with the rich young ruler, Jesus doesn't ask for 10%, he asks for 100%. And, and, you know, the man comes to him and he says, all of your commands I've kept since I was a child, which is, which is a, a pretty significant case of, of lacking self-awareness. You know, all of your commands, Lord, I've kept since I was a child. And Jesus says, okay, well, let's, let's just talk about three of them all with one statement. Let's talk about you know, worshiping the Lord your God and the Lord your God only. Let's talk about uh, not having idols uh, that you falsely worship. Let's talk about, you know, the coveting command. That's three of the ten. Let's just talk about three of those ten that you say that you've, you've kept all of your life, and I'll just consolidate them into one statement. Give away everything that you have to the poor and come follow me. Then you'll be wealthy. Then you'll, you'll know what it means to be rich in the truest sense of the word. And it says the rich ruler walks away from Jesus, feeling like that's way too much of an ask. But it doesn't say he walked away feeling scolded. It doesn't feel like he, 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 he doesn't walk away feeling like he was shouted down. It says he walked away sad. When you walk away from something or from someone feeling sad, it, you're sensing that you're missing something, that you're actually walking away from something that might be life-giving. And yet it was too much for him to ask because more than him having money, his money had him. More than him having possessions, his, his possessions had him. And, and for the rich ruler, it was a unique ask. You know, Jesus is targeting the thing that, that the rich ruler is able and, 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 and most, most likely to give you know, his mind share, his resources, his energy to the most effortlessly. And for him, it was his wealth and possessions. For somebody else, it might be something else that you regard as your ultimate wealth that may have nothing to do with money or what you put in a safe or, or where you invest, you know, finances. It may be something else. It may be a status. It may be your reputation. It may be, you know, a certain you know, brand that you curate for yourself on social media. It, it, it might be, uh, you know, a romantic relationship. It might be a familial relationship. It could be anything that we look to as our wealth. But Jesus' unique ask to us is this. Whatever that thing is for you, are you willing to give it all up if I asked you to? And I, maybe I'll ask you to, maybe I won't. But would you willingly give it all up if I asked you to, if it, if it meant you could have deeper and more of an experience with me as your wealth? That was his question for the rich ruler. It's his question for all of us. So, so here's a, a very inspiring um, anecdote from the history of our church. Right, one of the things about Christ Pres is that this has been, since 40 years ago, since its founding, it's been a church that generously responds when people need 
care. Uh, you know, Christ Pres was, a, was one of the major outposts, for instance, that, that set up to care for people during the Nashville floods in 2010. And that's just been part of our history for as long as we've been a church. And it was a privilege to walk into that history, you know, 10 years ago and just sort of be subsumed into it. But I don't know if you, you were on campus this past week or if you saw, you know, some of the pictures on, on people's social media about how hallways and classrooms were filled to the, to the ceiling with, with donations that people had brought in uh, for, you know, for helping our, and serving our neighbors who have been affected uh, by the floods as flood victims. And, it, you know, that's, that, that's, that's just a function of the spirit of generosity that's our, always been here. So I'll tell you one anecdote that um, I'll keep everybody anonymous, but, but I was told a, a, about uh, something that happened a few years prior to when I got here, where there's, there's a group, a lot like a, a learning group, the groups that meet between services on Sundays, you know, about 50 or 60 people. There was a, a group or a community in the church, and it became known to the primary leader of that, that, of that group that there was a, a married couple in that larger group that had fallen on hard times financially. And so that group leader sent out an email to everyone, keeping names anonymous, and said, you know, just so you all know, there, there, there are a couple of people who are in financial straits who are part of our group, part of our little community. I, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but I, I do want to ask that everybody, you know, share you know, whatever contribution you can to help bear their burdens as the scriptures encourage us to. And so the, the, the gifts started coming in, and as, as they were being sort of tallied and the checks were being counted, the leader of the group noticed that, that the largest gift that was sent was by the couple that, that the gifts were being sent for. The largest gift was sent. It's a lot like when, when Paul talks about the Macedonians, who, who out of their poverty... You know, gave abundantly, even out of their poverty. The biggest gift given by the poorest couple representing something, very significant, and that is that the, the, the biggest problem that we can have is, is not a material deficit. The biggest problem that we can have is, is, a, is, a, is a deficit of the soul. And, you know, this, this couple's response to an ask like that in their own situation represented that, that they were, ironically, among the most wealthy, uh, in the truest sense of the word, of wealth, in the whole group. And so, pay it forward. That's number one. Number two is recognizing the poverty of greed where greed exists. So, Jesus puts it this way in verse 19. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. So, so the rich ruler, the question that he asked Jesus is this. You know, after he said, all your commands I've, I've kept since I was a child. Lack of self-awareness. And then he says, but Lord, what do I still lack? There's still a sense in him that he lacks something. And Jesus' answer reveals that the thing that he lacked most was lack. You know, the, 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 the primary offering, the primary gift that Jesus wants us to give, and the very first gift that He will accept from anyone is our gift of nothing, is our gift of empty hands, is our gift of, 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 every, of, of our need for everything that He came to supply that we could not and cannot supply for ourselves. 
The one thing he lacked, this rich man, is lack itself. And W.C. Fields said this. He said something, or he said, sometimes a rich man is just a poor man with money. Now, a rich man who is a poor man with money, he's not poor, again, he's not, he's not poor because he has money. It's, he's poor because he's obsessing about it. He's poor because it's the thing that, that, that he fixates on. It's the thing that, that has become the object of his focus, that's become the object of his affection. You know, one such person was another man, a wealthy man, older, not young, but older, named Nicodemus. The most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those words were first heard by this man, Nicodemus, as Jesus spoke those words to him in John chapter 3. Now, Nicodemus was a man who represented the portrait of what some would call the good life. He was a pillar in the community. He ran in elite social circles. He had a very high net worth. He had a lot of political power and social capital and social influence in the community. And it's this man who came to Jesus in the middle of the night, like the rich ruler, recognizing that he still lacked something, and it was nagging at him. He wasn't sure exactly what it was, but, but he felt like Jesus, who ironically is a poor man with no connections, with no networks, with no social capital or gravitas, and yet he recognizes something in Jesus that will have the answer to what he lacks. You know, Rockefeller was once asked, yeah, at the peak of his net worth, he was asked, how much is enough for you? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus from this place. He's hit his number. He hit his number a long time ago. He's reached his goals a long time ago. And as, you know, Thomas Merton wrote, he, he spent his whole life climbing up a wall and, 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 and discovering that once he got to the top of the ladder, he was, he was climbing the wrong wall, that he had his ladder up against the wrong wall. See, the anatomy of the human soul is this. The human soul is an infinite space. It's a space bigger than the universe because, right, the human being, just one human being is the crown of, of creation. The soul of one human being in the eyes of God and from the perspective of the creator, the soul of one human being is bigger than the expansive universe itself. More significant than that. And so to try to fill it, that, fi that infinite space, with something finite, it's always going to be left lacking. It's like, it's like you know, a, star a person who's starving from hunger, trying to satisfy that hunger with just a single grain of rice, or, 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 or a person who is parched from thirst, trying to, trying to fix that thirst by you know, taking just a thimble of water and, 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 and just hoping that that thimble of water will take care of all the dehydration and everything else. And it won't. You know, St. Augustine prayed a prayer along these lines in which he said, You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So recognizing the poverty of greed, and then finally, how can we be released from that poverty? We, we, here's the answer. We need a new and altogether different miniature sermon 
to preach to ourselves every day. Jack Miller called it, you know, preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. Another way of putting it is preaching Jesus uh, as your functional wealth to yourself on a daily basis and surrounding yourself with other people who will do the same thing. But the mini-sermon would go like this. You say to your soul, soul, uh, infinite riches are stored up for you, not in a barn, not in a brokerage firm, but at the right hand of God. And, and what's at the right hand of God? Jesus is at the right hand of God, the resurrected Christ. If the Lord is my portion, I will wait for him. The Lord is my share. The Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my wealth. And he gives us things that, that, that money only promises but, but, but cannot sustain. He gives us not only shelter, but everlasting shelter. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. He's already gone to prepare a place for us. He gives us not temporary clothing that wears out, but everlasting clothing, which the Bible calls the clothing of his righteousness. Uh, not unlike how the father in, in that parable in Luke chapter 15 dressed the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home after defeating himself and, and tiring himself out through, through wild and rebellious living, he comes home thinking that he will only be received as a doulos, as a slave. And his father says, make no mistake about it, and I'm going to do all of these symbolic things to demonstrate to you that I'm receiving you back as a son, with, with full rights, as a full heir. And so he says he puts the robe on him. He clothes him. Clothing of Jesus' righteousness, his, perf his, his, his beauty and perfection. He puts a signet ring on him. He clothes one of his fingers with the, the, the ring that says, your family. He clothes his feet with, with, with sandals, which you know, only slaves went barefoot. The sons wore sandals and shoes on their feet. And then then he creates a whole feast and invites the whole community to come to celebrate the son's homecoming. And in this, he also gives the son status, but it's not a temporary status, the, uh, you know, the illusion of which you know, we can purchase with money. It's actually a permanent, everlasting status. You are elite. You are powerful. You are attractive because you share in the glory of Christ himself. When God looks at you, he sees the glory of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees the perfection and radiance of Christ and the fame of Christ. That's a big word and a big desire in Nashville. Fame is a currency in our city that is desired by many. And if we can't get fame, we want to get close to it. We want to have access to it. We want to have friends who are in the world of fame. Because being famous or being close to fame somehow gives us this feeling of being more important and more seen than we were when we were without it, which is, again, another illusion. Just think about the people that Jesus moved toward. It, it, it typically, he typically did not prioritize movers and shakers, even though movers and shakers like Nicodemus, there was room for them. But he prioritized the weak, the vile, the poor, sinners, sufferers. You know, speaking of fame, I'll, I'll never forget, this was 1984, I was a sophomore in high school, don't bother doing the math, I'm 53 years old, okay? So, 1984, Sally Field won an Oscar uh, for her role in the movie Places in the Heart. 
And in her Oscar speech, she, she said this to the crowd, I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. This time I feel it, and I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. Now, those, those two words are the key words, right now. If you're under 40 years old, chances are you don't even know who Sally Field is. And that's, that's the case for all of us. We may have our moment in the sun. We have our, may have our moment on the stage or, or on the screen or, or, you know, at the top of the org chart. We may have our moment. But as Anne Lamott famously said, in 100 years, it's going to be all new people. Our lives are fleeting. But if we are children of God, we're told in Romans chapter 8, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. That word glory is actually something that belongs to us right now. Now, in, in the new heaven and in the new earth, we'll, we'll receive glorified bodies, our motivations will be pure, our behaviors will be pure, uh, our, our, our our desires will be 100% pure. We will be like Jesus Christ because we will see Him as He is. We'll be perfectly united with Him forever. But in the meantime, because we're clothed, right, with, 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 with a fashion, a kind of fashion that never goes out of style in the eyes of God, He looks at us and He rejoices over us, it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, with loud singing, objects of His delight and affection. There's one more treasure that's ours in Christ that can't be taken away. And it's the same kind of treasure that the father in Luke 15 gave to the prodigal son, and it's access to the table. And that access was, was open to anyone and everybody who was willing to celebrate the son's homecoming. Because if you're willing to celebrate the, the son's homecoming, then you, you've, you've clearly come to a place where you understand that the, the best and only offering that the father is able to receive from you is your need. And, 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 and so he invites the whole community access to his table. So it's an expensive table. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of, one of our, our fellow congregants after the early service, after the 8, 8.30 service this morning, came up to me and said, it's like this. It's like Jesus has invited us all to a really expensive meal, and he wants to treat all of us but the prices of the food are not on our menus. The prices are only on his menu. And he pays the tab, he leaves the tip, he feeds us to the brim. And he does it over and over and over again. And he, again, his menu is the only one that has the prices on it. So Patty and I saw this movie last week called Pig. And it's, it's kind of one of those eccentric movies uh, featuring Nicholas Cage. Uh, it's a bit of a redemptive moment for Nicolas Cage after the, the whole left behind thing a few years ago that he was in. Uh, but this, this, this beautiful movie called Pig, you know, features a relationship with this sort of isolated man uh, who just has this close relationship with his pig. And one of the things the pig does is he, he finds truffle mushrooms you know, in, in the dirt. And apparently truffle mushrooms, I didn't know what one was until I watched this movie. And my, my wife's like, oh yeah, that's a delicacy. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. And, and so I Googled it. And today on Amazon, the good news is that you can purchase two truffle mushrooms for $129 plus tax and shipping. Two. Have you ever been treated 
to a meal that you can't afford? How did it make you feel when you were treated to a meal that you cannot afford? It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel seen. It makes you feel wanted. It makes you feel valued. In front of us is an expensive meal. It's not just a line item on Jesus' budget because it didn't just cost him 10%. It cost him 100%. Jesus was the rich young ruler, you guys, who gave up everything in order to be with us, in order to follow us. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow us all of the days of our lives. Or as, as Pastor David Filson likes to say, grace is always on the chase with Jesus. And this is an expensive meal that says you're loved and it says you're wanted. So, so Chip Dodd is a friend of mine and also happens to be my counselor. And Chip has this phrase that, that, that we turned into a phrase and we, we put it on one of our bookshelves in a place where we can see it every single day. And it says this, the answer to life is a question. I like you. Do you like me? Circle yes or no. This table in front of us is Jesus circling yes. He loves you, but he also likes you. He esteems you. He rejoices in you. He loves you. He likes you. He wants you. And in return, he asks the same question. I like you. Do you like me? Circle yes or no. And the way that we circle yes in response is to come to his table with empty hands. With empty hands. All the fitness he requires is to feel our need of him. So let's do that now. And uh, before we do so, and as the kids make their way back in, uh, I'll invite us to turn our eyes and hearts and attention to the screen and invite us to stand as well for this. We'll, we'll, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Daughters and sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, children of Abraham, how did our Lord teach us to pray? He taught us saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this very expensive meal that cost you everything so that your goodness and your mercy might follow us all of the days of our lives. And for this, we thank you. And in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.